Hi, welcome in. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is one of my uh, favorite scriptures this year. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh, and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents, behold. I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside, him, beside them. His, word, his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy, thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. <clears throat> His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. I think it is. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents, for unto every one that hath shall be given. And he, sh and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> it's actually a lot more positive story than it sounds. Um, not for the person who is lazy. Not for the person that doesn't do their work. Um, <clears throat> let's see here. All right, so uh, this old English is difficult for some people, um, including myself. There was you noticed uh, some words that that I struggled to pronounce, but learning it can uplift us and create new meaning. Just like learning Spanish has created new meaning for me, and just like learning that Spanish is different in Mexico and Uruguay, Peru, and <clears throat> Colombia, as you as you get to know the art of language you begin to realize that there are there are very strong depths to words that are extremely meaningful. And the same is true of ancient languages. Um, welcome to Faith and Foundations, by the way. Um, I'm going to break that scripture down in terms of how I interpret it and what it means for me. Um, but I'm, <clears throat> I'm here ultimately to facilitate conversations of of scripture and of faith. 
Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to having people join me on this, um, people of different faiths. And, you know, if, if anybody has <clears throat> certain scriptures they would want to share, um, then, then feel free to share one in the comments. I'm going to interpret my what I understand from the scripture that I read. Um, it's obviously important to my life right now. Otherwise, I wouldn't have shared it. Um, I'm also going to be breaking down some other resources that I've come across in my studies. And uh, we'll just <clears throat> we'll see how this continues to turn out um, as I continue to put this out there. Um, uh, please read what you see on the screen um, as well so that, that you know, again, um, these are these are my thoughts. They're not anybody else's. Uh, this is not associated with any organization. Um, I just know what I'm what I'm called to do. And uh, so I will do it. Um, <clears throat> that said, the I want to discuss real quick, you know, what, what do you think? How, how do you define faith in your life? Um, and feel free to take a, a minute to do that. I'm not going to give a dictionary definition. Um, on this occasion, I'm not going to turn to a specific scripture and define it. Um, I'm going to define my own interpretation of what it is. And I'm just buying you a little bit of time to go ahead and think through in your heart, in your mind, how would you define it? What is faith to you? Um, you know, what, what's good about faith? What's bad about faith? Um, you know, how can we utilize faith as a tool for achieving better things in our life? And how can we manipulate faith um, in ways that are destructive um, and, and tear us or others apart? Um, all, there's, there's really no wrong thought process if you're striving to bring about good um, with the thoughts that you have. Um, and there's no bad contributions, again, if that is done in the right spirit. Um, and that spirit would be light and love. Um, if there are comments of people who are contentious, I might leave them on there um, because I don't want to erase history necessarily. Um, but I also might remove them if it distracts from the sacredness of the purpose of this experience. Um, and, you know, if you if you have thoughts and comments and my request, my invitation to you is to share them with it with a light of love um, and a light of purpose, a light of uplifting others, not destroying others. Um, <clears throat> so. With that said, my definition of faith is an action and a belief, um, a belief that is not a knowledge, something that I don't know to be true, but I think is true um, or I feel is true. And therefore, I take actions to support that belief. So I may not have um, <clears throat> a perfect knowledge, uh, you know, that. As a, as a child, the child may not have a perfect knowledge that their father loves them, uh, you know, especially in a father who's in the military and who's not there on a regular basis. Um, but said child can act according to their faith that their father loves them or their mother, um, if it's a mother who's away in military service, um, by taking steps towards loving that parent. And the parent can do the exact same thing, can reciprocate or lead the way on that. Um, that's an experience of faith, um, you know, is, and what, what can you do? Um, the child can hug their parent, right? Uh, the child can draw a picture for their parent. That is an act of faith. 
an act of faith in the relationship with their parent. Um, there are all sorts of actions that we do every day, um, whether we do them subconsciously or very aware of our actions. Um, we're either contributing to building our faith or we're contributing to destroying our faith. There is no middle ground. Um, our actions do one or the other. There's no limbo. Um, life is a lot like a river. And I believe that, um, you know, the adversities that we face from the time we are born until we die are designed, we're, we're swimming up a current, up a stream. And that stream is one that allows us to develop strength, right? We have to exercise our muscles if we want to get stronger. We have to feel the adversity, um, the tension against it. And so um, when we look at life that way and we say, okay, all the things that I pass through um, are designed for my good. I, I believe that. It's one of my beliefs. You don't have to believe that. But I do believe that all the things that I pass through are designed to build me up. And I don't necessarily understand them. I don't necessarily feel that way in the moment. But when I take the time to either walk and breathe and think about it, or I have the ability in the moment to accept it, I have, uh, I have a feeling of peace. And I usually gain greater insight and knowledge. And then I end up realizing, wow, okay, I am a stronger person because I went through that. Um, and, you know, a day after the heart, if you ever, if you did today, the hardest workout of your life right now, and then tomorrow, you're not going to feel your strongest at all. Tomorrow, you're going to feel the 24 hour burn and the next day, the 48 hour burn. But that does not rob you of the reality that you exercised and you are going to become stronger because of that intense workout, so long as you didn't hurt yourself, right? As long as you didn't overdo it. And you can do that too. Same is true of faith and spirituality. So I'm curious about your definitions of faith. Feel free to drop those in the comments um, if, if you'd like to add to that. And I also want to talk about <clears throat> why I chose the titles that I chose um, before we dissect the scripture of Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Um, so the, the titles and why did I choose a specific order in which they are um, provider, father, son, brother, and friend. Um, there's probably more titles um, that I could, I could use for myself. I've certainly heard some negative titles towards me, um, uh, depending on, on who you're talking to. Um, but first and foremost, um, it's my duty to provide, not just for my kids. Yes, of course, my four kiddos deserve that I be a great provider, but there are others that I'm supposed to provide for as well. And that is true of most of us. Most of us are designed and given capabilities to be able to provide for many people. Um, you know, if you go back hundreds of years um, outside of the circumstances we live within now where, um, you know, we can misinterpret the realities of Instagram and Facebook and we see, you know, parents that are able to dedicate their entire life, their entire circumstances to their child. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that that's not for everybody. That's not what everybody is called to do. Other people have different callings. Um, again, people, families of military uh, personnel and their families understand this very well. Um, it surprises me and I feel a sense of, of honor and gratefulness for the spouses, whether it's the husband who's at home or the, the wife who's at home. And they know and understand that their spouse is going to be gone for often six months at a time or more. Um, again, if you go back a few hundred years, uh, you often probably didn't know if your spouse was coming back and you didn't receive any communication for who knows how long. In many cases, it was years at a time. So the ability to be faithful, 
um, in those circumstances, the ability to be committed to your relationships. Um, it was an entirely different level than exists in today's society. Um, I think people had a greater strength and capacity in relation to their, their um, earthly relationships um, because of those types of circumstances. Even if you just watch 100 years ago, if you watch the movie, I don't think it was 100, um, Homeward, not Homeward, uh, Old Yeller. Um, in Old Yeller, the dad leaves for a cattle drive that he's got to work and mom is left at home with her kids and they're on a ranch where they don't have any protection. Um, you know, they don't really, they have one neighbor who's kind of lazy, um, and comes in and, uh, uses the family, um, for his own benefits. And it's a really interesting way of, of seeing when you watch that movie, how incredibly different today's society is, um, for good and for bad. And, it's a great reflection of, again, what it means to be a provider. Um, so as a provider, I provide to my kids, but I also provide to the people who work for me. Um, and I know that I'm called to provide for even more people and am called to help further in South America um, as much as I'm also called to serve locally where I'm at. And so I, I take that, <clears throat> I take the responsibility very seriously and I'm glad I do because I, I hasn't always been that way. Um, I wasn't always as focused on being a great provider. Um, you know, I, I didn't really take that title as seriously as I should have um, in my early years of, of fatherhood. Um, it was right before my daughter was born. It was when my, my wife was pregnant, my ex-wife. Um, but when she was pregnant that it dawned on me like, oh, um, I should probably work harder. Like I should probably go to work and not play video games anymore. Um, and I turned the PlayStation off and that was necessary for me. That's not necessary for everybody. There's plenty of people who provide very well for their family and play video games. But for me, that was a necessary step. Um, and there's many other things that I had to do to realize I wasn't living according to a diligent provider the way I needed to be to adequately provide to those um, in need under what I would call my stewardship. Um, and you can make that change. You can make those adjustments at any time and you have the opportunity to make it in big strides or also to make it in little strides. That's for you to figure out and determine ultimately. <clears throat> so father, yes, I do have four kids. Um, and I love them dearly and I don't get to be with them on a regular basis. Um, and that's very hard. Um, that's, it's not an easy reality to, have to go through those of you who are divorced or who or don't have access to your kids for whatever reason, um, you know, the intense amount of pain that comes with that reality. Um, and you also probably know, uh, the intense amount of pain that can come from actually being with your kids, but knowing that the moments are fleeting, um, you know, the moments are, are short and you don't, you know, for whatever reason, you don't get to have that experience with them. And so, that doesn't mean that you're not a full-time father though. That doesn't mean that you can't be in seeking ways, to, you can't be seeking ways to express your love for them while they're not with you. In fact, we have to do that even more so when we're not with them. And I specifically love <clears throat> that uh, the, the symbolism of watering a plant. Um, and I've learned this recently that, you know, if instead of, inundating your kids, um, you know, and, and all at once and drowning them, uh, like, you know, you don't want to drown a flower, uh, giving them, you know, a little bit of water each day 
um, is really what will cultivate uh, their healthy growth. Um, and I need to be better about that as well. Um, even though as the, the parent that's out of the picture for the most part, it hurts tremendously because, um, you know, you, you don't get to see them. You don't get to have the experiences that you envisioned having on a daily basis. You don't get to be around that dinner table, um, you know, talking to them and hearing about their day. Um, and so when you, when you call your kids, um, you know, or you write a letter to them, whatever, whatever you do to try to connect, um, there is a, there's a sense of loss. Um, that you also have to overcome as you push through that dynamic. Um, but you also have to learn to get over yourself and do what is necessary for those that you love um, so that they don't have a sense of doubt that you love them. Um, and that's all. Again, those are opportunities for growth for all of us. I'm a son. Um, I'm a son of God. I'm a son of my mother and my father. Um, and I have an opportunity to honor that. I'm a brother and I'm a friend. I won't dive into the rest of those. Um, those are, are pretty straightforward, but Again, I put provider first because that is my primary responsibility um, is to know who I provide for and to be there for them. And, you know, let's pretend that in my house, <clears throat> I have my kids, my four kids are there and they're safe and protected, but let's pretend two houses over, there's another house and there's a hundred children in it and the house is on fire. And who am I the provider for in that moment? You know, I'm the provider for both, but it is my, my priority is to go help the kids, the 100 kids who are in a burning house and get them out. That doesn't mean I'm neglecting my responsibilities and duties to my family, but it means that I'm, I'm attending to the call of where I've been called to serve. And so, um, again, this isn't a call out to people who are able to be with their parents full time, but it is something to consider. You know, are you, are you drowning your kids, um, in, in too much of a good thing or, um, you know, is it, are you there for them in the necessary, necessary capacity and helping them understand that we also have 8 billion people in this world to help. Um, and while that burning building with hundred kids, uh, may not be next door to you, uh, it, it might serve our children. Well, if they got to see and understand that, that we do care about those who have greater needs than we do. And that's really what, you know, this scripture is all about and why I read it. And now I've already read it. I'm going to go ahead and provide my interpretation of it since we read the old English version. Um, it says, for the kingdom of, of heaven is a, is a man traveling. That means this is a symbol. Um, and that person who is related to the kingdom of heaven, is, it, it's a lot like the same experience. So um, he called his servants, delivered them uh, his goods, and he gave one five talents. Consider that like $5,000. Let's do $50,000. Gives him $50,000. The next person he gives $20,000. And the next person he gives $10,000 according to what he feels their possible abilities are. And then he it says he took his journey. He, he left. Um, he went on his way. Um, and they knew, they were instructed on what to do with this funding. Um, and, you know, they, they, they know who he is. They know what's going on. And they're supposed to go to work with this. And so he, uh, he comes back. And the <clears throat> person he gave $50,000 to um, is excited. He's like, hey. Um, you left, you came back and I turned your 50,000 into 100,000. Um, you know, here you go. This is, this is your money. Um, and humbly waits to be given his reward. And sure enough, uh, the person who gave him the, the finances ends up saying, Hey, you know, you should be excited. Um, you know, about the joy I feel for you. I can't wait to celebrate this. And I'm going to give you so much more um, this time around. And, you know, and you're going to be able to enjoy it. And everything's going to be great. He's really excited. 
The same thing occurs with the person who we gave 20,000, $20,000 person gave him the uh, $40,000 said, Hey, I was able to extend this. And the last person who was given less, um, you know, he ends up saying like, um, so that were a hard man. He says, you're kind of a jerk. Um, and you, you always collect on the work of other people like myself. And, you know, and I, I know that I knew that you were going to be mad at me. Um, so I was afraid and I went and I just, you know, I made sure that your 1000 stayed safe. Here's where I hit it. You can go get it yourself. Um, and, uh, that the, you know, the person in charge that the gave him the money wasn't very happy with that decision. So he goes and, uh, you know, he tells him, Hey, look, like you're like, how lazy can you be? You know, I gave you this gift to utilize, um, because I didn't need to have it myself. I got other things to tend to. You could have turned this into a fortune and done something with it, but you chose not to. And, uh, so yeah, not only are we going to take that away from you because you didn't do anything with it and we're going to give it to the person who, who created the most amount of wealth, um, for our circumstances, but now, you know, you're going to be thrown into darkness. It says you're going to be thrown into, uh, into jail because, you know, what do you expect? You want, you don't want to do anything while the rest of us are doing, uh, hard work. And yes, the servant assumed that the uh, person in charge went and I guess sat and was lazy, but he doesn't really know. We don't really know. Maybe that guy has, um, you know, instead of a $50,000 project, maybe he has a $500,000 project that he had to deal with and go mess with. So um, the, the, the key of the story is about learning to take advantage of the opportunities that we have and fully utilize them. Um, it's, it's about making sure that whatever talent, whatever skill, whatever monetary value we've been given, that we dedicate our lives to maximizing it, that we work very hard to make sure that if we've been given goodness, which again, could be a gift, it could be your talents, um, it could be your circumstances in life, we are designed to multiply that, not to you, not to self-indulge in it, not to say, okay, great, I have $50,000, I'm going to spend it all on me. The opportunity is to expand it. And the cool thing about it is once you do, if you choose to expand what you've been given, yes, it does give back to you, but it also creates wealth and abundance for others, which usually creates great relationships with the individuals that are affected as well. So the cool thing is all of the things that you do to live a holistic life, all the things that I do will add abundance to my great relationships as long as I as long as I build great relationships. Um, and that is an important key. So um, one of the one of the other resources I wanted to share with you is something called A Conversation on Leadership um, by David A. Bednar. Um, and this is a, a material that I'm reading. Um, and part of sharing these realities, oh, by the way, I forgot, and I didn't want to forget this. I want to give a major shout out. Uh, a shout out to Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy is a person who inspired me to do this. Um, he came on my podcast and he talked about his faith. And I'm going to drop his link right here. There's 163,000 people who follow him on Facebook. And, you know, he he shares his faith with the world. Um, you know, he teaches people how his faith, uh, how your faith relates to business um, uh, very openly. And I, I think it's awesome. Um, so uh, you can you can follow him on Facebook. I've got a sneeze. That's always awkward when you're live. Uh, Oh, okay. Um, 
So uh, Sean Murphy does a, a really cool job. He's much more energetic than I am. Um, I come in a little bit more, um, I would say reverent um, in how I do things. I'm a bit more gentle. But I really love the power with which he shares and the conviction with which he shares. And um, I just think it's so cool um, what, what he does. And if you're looking for more people of light, if you're looking for goodness uh, that, that, that can uplift your life and <clears throat> bring you new value, he is definitely somebody worth uh, considering following and, and looking into. So, Sean, thank you. Um, if you see this, I really appreciate you, man. Um, all right. So this conversation on leadership. Uh, you can Google this and you'll probably find it is my guess. Um, it's not necessarily a mainstream resource, so it's, it's possibly not. Um, but I'm going to summarize some of what I read in this. And, you know, if it, if it serves you, awesome. If you want to take notes, feel free to. If you want to just ponder some of the thoughts, that's great, too. So there's I also, by the way, I will be using different materials from different religions. Um, I'll be using materials from the Bible. I'll be using materials from the Book of Mormon. I'll be using uh, materials from the Quran, um, you know, from Buddhism, really from any source that brings light and love. I will use it um, and, you know, and I will I will learn from it. So this isn't about one particular faith. I do have my faith, but my faith and determination is to respect yours as well. So if you have something that you want to share and you want to share to my platform, then by all means, join me. Um, on these calls, um, you know, on these uh, on these live streams. Uh, so <clears throat> as long as the uh, as long as the material, like I said, has elements of, of has truth in it, then I'm going to find how I can use that for good. So this comes from the doctrine and covenants. Um, and it's speaking about what's called the law of consecration. And that is the law that we are designed as human beings to give everything we have to each other, you know, and, and ultimately uh, establish not communism, um, for those who are scared of that. Um, but a, a law of equality where we're, we're trying to make sure that everybody gets what they need in order to, so that everybody has a great life, great principle, difficult to live, um, extremely difficult. And it says so, and, but there's a power that's buried in this, this particular verse. It says, and all this, like do all these things for the benefit of the church of the living God, you define your church by the way, and, and what that looks like. I do too. Um, it's not necessarily the, congregation or the building that I go to as much as the people that I serve. Um, and it says that every man may improve upon his talent or woman may improve upon her talent, that every man may gain other talents, yay or yes, even an hundredfold. That means becoming 100 times more capable than you currently are. Um, <clears throat> and to be cast in the Lord's storehouse or, or giving to you know, God and what God's doing to become the common property of the whole church. Again, we all define for ourselves what that means. Um, you know, and again, some people take that as, you know, a, a literal uh, reality for their own congregation. And that's fine. I'm not here to judge that. Um, and I'm here to decide for myself, what does that mean for me in my situation? Uh, what does that mean when I've got a, a driven personal mission to help bridge the economic gap between South America, and North America, but I also have a local church that I'm also designed to support and help. Um, well, that's that's a great conversation for me to have with God, in my opinion. That's a great conversation for me to take up with him. And in your scenario, that's not something for Jackson to, to define or somebody else to define other than God. Ask him. Take it up with him. Um, you know, figure out what he wants you to do with your talents for your life. But the cool thing is it says if you follow this, then 
You will have the power of God on your side to make sure that you become 100 times more powerful at what you do. And I'm, I love that realization. Um, so they talk about in this uh, conversation on leadership, a leadership pattern. Um, and they go into what type of leaders they, in this case, their church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, are looking for. And here's what they kind of uh, determined after talking to a lot of the different existing leaders in the church. Um, we're looking for leaders who can lead as the Savior would. And <clears throat> at the top of this pattern, we're looking for leaders who are able to act under the direction of the Spirit. Um, we need leaders who are confident in seeking the same spirit of revelation. That means, again, seeking answers directly from God, uh, as the brethren do. And they seem to be, whoop, I skipped one, um, fully expecting that this is what's really cool to me about this. Leaders who are seeking the spirit of revelation, who are fully expecting to receive it, who are able to receive it, and who then apply that direction in the work that they do. So, <coughs> excuse me, being able to <coughs> know that you can receive revelation, then being able to do it, and then apply it to what it is that you do. Um, this is <coughs> one of the founding principles of my own faith, um, is that you are supposed to receive revelation in order to guide your own life. Um, and practicing that, understanding how to do that, um, learning when you're, you're right about it, learning when you're wrong about having received revelation like that. It's a process, um, just like learning how to get the questions right <clears throat> in school with a teacher. Sometimes you get it wrong, sometimes you get it right. Um, but that, just because you get it wrong doesn't mean you stop trying. You got to keep going on it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, this bronchitis thing has been tough, um, but it's not going to stop me from doing what I love. Um, they were also very consistent saying we need leaders who are able to align everything that they do with the existing leadership, um, which is a very consistent message. And that's that's natural. Um, you know, if leadership is divided, then only divides the direction. And the further the splintering occurs in any type of organization, the more chaos that will ensue. You won't have order. Um, and then he talks about six basic types of work that leaders need to do. I counted seven. Um, so I wish I'd seen the slide because I'm only reading the version, but let's let's do, do the best we can with this. So uh, it's a great path. Number one, you got to define your direction, right? I call this defining your vision. Number two, organize your work. You got to organize your work in order to be a great leader. Three, you got to counsel together, right? And who do you counsel with? That matters too. You have people by your side who are, who are smart enough, who are intuitive enough, who are respectful enough um, and who are giving enough to counsel well together. Um, you Number four, you got to build capability. <clears throat> what does that mean? That means lifting up those who you are working with on the project, making sure they're capable of doing the work. Uh, five, accomplish the work, right? Get the work done. It's one thing to build people up to do the work. It's another to accomplish the work. Um, and then number six, to render an accounting of the things that we do. Um, one of the most uncomfortable things for people in life is to own whether they did something or not. Um, and to be able to overcome that is kind of a leadership 101. It's probably a leadership 301 principle, but it should be 101. It's something that we need to embrace. And it's tough when you've worked with leaders who don't appreciate you on the past or who um, make you feel bad if you failed at something or didn't do something. Um, or they make you feel bad because you did do something. Um, on either end of the spectrum, 
this last part of a rendering and accounting um, of the things that we do <clears throat> requires a full understanding or a, a strong understanding rather of both humility and confidence. Um, so when, you know, we want to, and this, this applies to every aspect of our life. Um, and it's a dangerous thing to learn because if you <clears throat> become accountable for what you do in life, but you live or you work with people who are not accountable for things, there's going to be a, a stress fracture in those relationships. Um, and that can break a marriage that can break a relationship with children that can break a relationship with parents when a child chooses to do that. But you have a parent who does not want to be accountable for their own actions. Um, it, it is not an easy thing to do, but it is a healthy choice. Um, and in an unhealthy world, you know, if that's your surrounding, what you're in, then it's also important to find a healthy world to start participating in with life in life with, because that's, <clears throat> that's a necessary step of growth um, for, for us, that we really need. Um, so accountability, feel free to look it up. Um, I'll leave it where it's at, even though I love to talk about it to, to be able to move on. Um, so those six elements, these are what they call leadership principles. Um, and I wish he had talked about, he says there's two dimensions of the leadership pattern. That's the only one he mentioned. Um, this was a, a live broadcast, I believe a, an open question and answer. Um, and this is a facilitator. This isn't actually the David I Ben are talking yet. This is Ralph Christensen. <clears throat> and so Ralph never ties the two together and maybe they had a slide presentation for those who were live. But um, what I gather out of the second dimension was <clears throat> our earthly administration skills. Um, and basically he outlines that if we do all this deep spirituality work and we align with Christ, but we don't learn the essential skills of technology, finance, management, operations, then we're not going to be very capable of doing very much. So we have to be willing to exercise in both, both dimensions. And the spiritual world, this is often referred to as being in the world, but not of the world, um, right? And that means that, and that's not a literal saying, I don't think it is. I interpret that as meaning that we're supposed to be um, around people and in society, even with people who don't agree with us, even with people who don't see eye to eye with us, we're still supposed to be there and facilitate good relationships and work um, and and uh, cultivate goodness. But and, and utilize the skill sets necessary to evolve and, and provide and, and <clears throat> win our bread by the sweat of our brow, things like that. Um, but we also need to make room for the spirituality, um, the spiritual side of the things that we're supposed to do. And while it's hard work to do both things, that again, that hard work is the exercising that creates strength and balance in our lives and our ability to, uh, to help others. Um, I like this idea at the end of this paragraph, he talks about how, <clears throat> how they facilitated this session with David A. Bednar. Now, David Bednar is a leader in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, you know, it's an organization of like 17 million members, I think. Uh, it's a lot of millions. So, so and this guy, <clears throat> as one of the people who helps facilitate that, he has a lot of great leadership skills. Um, so they're doing this with, you know, about probably 100 people present and probably another million or so listening in. And I love how they designed the, the mastermind portion. You can use this for your own masterminds if you do them. It says at the, at the conclusion of the facilitator asking five or so prepared questions, and the facilitator works with people all day long who are constantly asking questions. So this guy already had the top five questions that he had pondered and thought about. It was like, man, these are the questions that pretty much everybody in here is going to benefit from. So the conclusion of those five, then, <coughs> excuse me, 
they open it up for questions or comments from those who are participating in this process. So um, I thought it was just an excellent facilitation reality. If you're going to facilitate an interview with somebody that you respect, a leader that you respect and want to hear from, it's a great way to do it where you ask the questions that apply to most people and then you open up the, the opportunity for other people in the audience to participate um, if there's time for it. So one of the, the first questions that they asked was, why is it so important that leaders develop others? Obviously, that's a that's a I should I shouldn't say obvious, but it's a fairly rudimentary question. You know, why should a leader build up and develop the other people around them? And the answer to that is because now you have multiple people who can do the work, um, right? And they did a follow up question: How's that best done? And I really like the answer that was given for that. So. <clears throat> Uh, David Bednar said, I think leadership includes both what you do and what you leave. What you do is necessary, but not sufficient. It's not enough. The most important thing is what you leave when you're not there. And the most important thing you can leave are people who have increased in two things, in capacity and confidence. <clears throat> so, my goal as a leader, therefore, would be then to make sure that the people I'm leading and teaching and helping grow increase in their capacity, their ability to do more, and their confidence, their ability to know that they're contributing good, their ability to feel um, the, the power of, of contribution um, and of belonging. That should be my number one priority. Uh, <clears throat> so now your greatest responsibility is to begin right now training a multitude of men or women who can replace you. Um, this was in his first day as basically the CEO of the organization. Um, you know, that's what he was taught on day one was start right now on day one, getting the next leaders of the future generations. Um, not later, right now, start from the beginning. Uh, it's just a really bold, wise concept. Um, I would say it's wise because I know when he was put in that position, uh, the, the church that he runs was probably around like 8 million members and it's gone to 17 million. So the leadership principles are leading to excellent results. Um, <clears throat> he also said, focus less on managing programs in the organization and be a lot more focused. That doesn't mean let go of programs. It just means that's not the focus. The focus is on the people and what's called the ministering. Ministering meaning attending to the needs. Um, right. Being there for those individuals and helping people learn to learn and helping them to grow. Um, that's what <clears throat> cultivates uh, success and leadership. Uh, later, one of the questions I have uh, circled is what can you do during your term of service that will prepare the way for the next people who follow you to be successful? So here he's talking about a student body in uh, Brigham Young University, Idaho, where they have these different tracks. And uh, the student body, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm not much of a college person, or I didn't do very well in high school either, um, is the group that governs the, let's go into like your class president, things like that. And there's apparently a lot of turnover in that university because of how they they go to school at different times. Um, the, the, that's very different than how other universities work. And so um, I thought it was a very intense and great goal that it says, and the measure of your ability to, to prepare the next person will be if the incoming student body officers who follow you have to begin at the same place where you began, then you failed. 
right? You did not do your duty properly if they have to begin where you were or in a worse position. You want to improve the system. You want to improve the program. You want to optimize it so that the people who come after you have an even <clears throat> easier time contributing and, and creating growth. Um, <clears throat> and this is so important, the, the capacity and competence of others, because those people are going to be there long after you are. So again, this principle applies to parenting as well. How can I help my children um, have the skill sets that I've developed, but develop those skill sets at a younger age? And how can I do so in a way that, again, increases their capacity and increases their confidence? Um, sometimes as parents, I'm guilty of this. Uh, sometimes as parents, we're guilty of, of trying too hard, um, you know, or, or trying to force issues to too at too young of an age. Um, I was super bad with this with the ages of one to four. Like I I thought my one to four year olds would love board games. You know, well, hello, um, you know, Jackson. I could have probably realized that board games were uh weren't gonna happen until they could read and comprehend. Um, and that was a very disappointing reality. Um, the same is true with organized sports. You know, I wanted to teach them <clears throat> how to play sports like, you know, the the crazy and I say crazy in a good way, the the protégés, the, the kids on YouTube, you know, they can already like dribble a basketball like crazy or make every shot. And, you know, they, they just were drawn to that. And I was like, man, I thought I'd be able to help my kids have the same type of experience, um, you know, if I just worked with them enough to train on that. And that's not necessarily how it works. And if you try too hard to do that, you can very much affect the confidence of the child and kind of ruin their ability to progress. So we have to be conscious of that. Those of us who like to achieve um, and, and push the limits, um, we also have to make sure that pushing the limits is done um, at the appropriate pace of the person that we're trying to help. Otherwise, we will end up ruining their confidence and ruining their ability to lead. Um, so I've had to, I've had to eat crow um, and eat that humble pie many times where I'm trying too hard um, and pushing people rather than inviting them to take healthy steps forward. Um, any thoughts of what a leader can do to make sure that we carve out time to actually do that? And what is he talking about? For those of you who just joined, we're talking about the ability to help drive people's capacity forward and build confidence in them while having to manage the day-to-day -day operations. And I love David's response. He says, well, it's a false premise to think that you don't have the time. It is. We, we, all of us are less effective at delegating, <clears throat> excuse me, than we should be because we don't want to take the risk that someone will do it wrong <clears throat> or we're scared to ask people. There's a lot of reasons why I'm going to, I'm going to go off script here. You can read this anytime you want to, <clears throat> excuse me, but it is a false premise that we don't have the time. Anytime we say that we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to others, we can make the time. Uh, we choose not to make the time. We might have better priorities for our own intent or for others but it is not about not having the time. So we have to structure our day in a way where we've got the ability <clears throat> to do the things that we know we must get done. So one of the things that I like that he says here too, is he says, there is some self-interest in helping people build in their capacities um, and their confidence. Um, there's a little bit of selfishness in that. The more people you have the, with increasing capacity, you can be off into doing other things that you probably ought to be doing, but that you can't do because you're the only one who can do all these other tasks. So the benefit, the byproduct of helping others become better leaders is that you then have the ability to break free to do more of the things that you want to do um, or that you need to do some of the higher level things that others can't. 
that was really important for me to hear personally, um, because the person I learned what the definition of meek was, was David Bednar. Um, and, you know, when you learn something from somebody who you respect tremendously, sometimes you put them in a golden box of, of perfection, or you don't understand the context of what they said. So when he shared the definition of meek was without hesitation and without self-regard um, <clears throat> or without regard for self, I latched onto that because I'd never understood that word. And I was probably 31 or so when I, when I heard that. Um, and I was like, okay, so if I want to be meek, I have to act without hesitation to help people. And I have to not think of myself. Um, and <clears throat> I would love to know if you guys know of a scripture that talks about the balance of, of meekness with the, with the reality of life. Um, because I kind of took that to the extreme and was like, okay, I guess that means I can never think of myself, but I don't think it says that we always should be meek. I think there's an, a, an abundant, uh, we can have abundance of meekness. I think that we're supposed to have a lot of it, but I don't think that we're always supposed to forget our own needs. Um, you know, that's, that would be kind of like, uh, <clears throat> that would put you in a position to where you never fed yourself and you would therefore no longer exist, um, as you pass away. So that, that particular, um, instruction, I'm on, I'm on page four of it. There's like, I don't know, 15 pages, maybe 20 pages, um, in the exercise, um, I might bring it back up. I, I probably will because the reason why I'm doing this is, uh, because of a conversation I had with God a few nights ago. Um, you can take that for what it is. Um, you can take that and interpret that how you want, but, um, <clears throat> I was going to bed. And it was very late. It was probably 1.30, maybe 2 in the morning. Um, and I was almost asleep. And I knew I needed to get up and write down, um, you know, these, some instructions. Um, and I had this prompting. And, you know, I was tired. I didn't want to. Um, but I've learned from great wise leaders that when you have a moment like that, where you have something into your heart and your mind that is clear as day that's important to your life, you, you don't risk forgetting it. You don't risk going to sleep thinking, oh, you know, I'll just have, I'll just write this down in the morning. The morning comes and you don't remember um, those elements. You were meant to write those down in the moment that they occur. So I, I try to be really good about that. And on this one, um, the conversation that um, that I had with God led me to realize that um, I, I need to be on a better path to accepting God's love and no longer robbing God, my father. Um, you know, that's something that I can definitely do a better job of. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we all can. This isn't about beating myself up for what I've done wrong as much as allowing myself to have access to the goodness that God has in store for me. Um, and <clears throat> when, you know, when, when God spoke to me, um, you know, the, the, my, my answer was read my word for one. Like I, I need to be doing a better job of making sure that I'm reading God's word on a daily basis. Um, part of that was this leadership talk by Bednar. This thing has been on my, my dining room table of all places. Um, it's been sitting there on the table for almost a year. Um, and I've been meaning to read it and it was given to me years ago. And it used to be on my other desk and it's transferred from place to place. And I, <clears throat> for whatever reason, have not made the time to read this particular document. Um, read the scriptures and read what's called uh, general conference, share it openly and let it flow. Like Sean Murphy. Again, I got to give great credit. Uh, I'm super grateful for Sean. 
And I need to make sure that I'm expressing gratitude for those in my life um, <clears throat> openly. Again, let it flow. Um, as I, so as I did with, with Sean Murphy, I got my little list here um, of, of the people, of the elements of my life that I can be expressing gratitude for. And this is not a one-time thing. This is something that um, I know that my life, my ability to connect with accepting God's love for me and not robbing God of all that I've been given entails continuing on this path of doing uh, just that. So for Mother Nature, um, you know, like that element, her, you know, as a person, um, I'm, I'm grateful for, um, you know, seeing the movie Pocahontas as a kid and learning about um, the ancient Native American ways of um, caring about Mother Nature and understanding uh, that that she exists. Um, there's just something about that that always um, felt right to me. Um, and I love just going outside and appreciating the trees, appreciating the clouds. You know, this is it's kind of like scares me to share because this is just so um, frou frou. Um, you know, as, as people would call it. But you know, if I see um, an insect walking or a bird flying. Um, I take the moment to appreciate the fact that I got to see that, um, that that gets to be a part of my life. Um, you know, that all of these things are, are designed, the colors that exist, the feeling of the wind, um, everything that I get to experience, um, you know, even just waving air on my face right now. Uh, you know, a baby, when I was a baby, I'd smile about that. You know, you, you found that funny. You found that like amazing. You found it magical. You can tap into that. And there's nothing crazy about it. Fine. If you want to call it crazy, that's fine. But there's so many things that are wonderful. There's so many good feelings that can come when you appreciate life on that level. And you realize just how, may, how much access we have to, <clears throat> to understanding and, and feeling and, and seeing different things. Um, I, don't, I don't want to take that for granted. Um, for, for the people in my life. You know, those of you who've tuned in, you know, there's there's two people who, who left little hearts on this. And I appreciate that, um, you know, and and maybe they gained some fortune cookie thing out of this that, that blessed their life. <clears throat> I'm a huge fan of a, of a talk, um, a lecture, whatever you want to call it, by I think it was a man named Ballard, um, M. Russell Ballard, or I think that was it. But if you look up the talk on um, honeybees. And you look up his name on Google, you'll probably find it. And it talked about how honeybees, you know, bring like the tiniest drop. Like it's so small, you can't even hardly see it um, back to the nest, um, back to the beehive um, for the sake of creating the honey that we have on our shelves. And their contribution seems so insignificant in, in their life. Yet <clears throat> it provides for millions of people. And uh, he talked about how our daily acts of kindness the very simple things, you know, are, are what, what make up divinity and what make up our divine nature. And so even just saying hi to somebody choosing to do that, um, you know, it, it carries more weight and value than we are willing to give ourselves um, oftentimes, but we, we shouldn't deprive ourselves of that. We should realize, you know, we have the opportunity and the invitation to realize the value of even the small acts of kindness that we do. And, you know, think about it. If we lived in a world that put extreme focus, um, you know, rather, I don't want to say extreme, appropriate focus on the value of those realities, 
you know, we, we'd probably live in a peaceful, a more peaceful society. And yes, there are people who might manipulate that just to get brownie points or whatever. Um, and we, we only add to the noise of bad when we call attention to that reality versus the person self-realizing that, um, you know, doing simple acts of kindness for the wrong motives in a society that is driven around doing true, simple acts of kindness and goodness, they're going to realize how awkward they are on their own if we facilitate appropriately goodness. Um, and that means that we have to have an extreme belief, which is called faith and action, our belief that goodness and love will prevail, that goodness and love is the strength to help us drive light into the world, which dispels darkness. Do we have that faith? Do we have the faith that when I turn the flashlight on, the darkness will subside, will go away? Um, and I, I know so many people focus on, uh, you know, the well, the darkness is still over there in that corner. Um, you know, and, and yes, and look at how much ground we've gained just with a little simple flashlight, right? We, we can, light has so much power, it, but we have to allow it to, to, to be a power. We have to facilitate it. And every time we doubt it, you know, we, we, you know, we might, well, you know, what if I put the flashlight like this and it's against my chest? Now we can't see anything. Well, yeah, so don't do that. Um, you know, like let it shine, let it shine bright. Um, and there's a great, you know. Uh, Fru song on that. Y'all, you know, most of y'all probably know it. Um, so for those in my life, I'm thankful for you, um, all of you. And, uh, you know, anybody I come across paths with, my goal is to become grateful for having come across that individual and understanding that that is by divine alignment that I have met or seen that person, no matter the outcome of the situation, no matter how dark the situation may be, that doesn't mean I can't, um, you know, appreciate the good that that person has within them or that person has the capability of cultivating if, um, <clears throat> you know, if I'm willing to give that a chance. Um, I, I know I can be better at as well, sharing gratitude for both Jocelyn and Tasha. Um, you know, I won't name them often. I will often refer to them as the uh, mothers of my children because they are. Um, you know, that is the, the title that I respect the most about them. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for how well I don't want to cry. Uh -huh. How much they love my children, um, their children individually. Um, and they do so many good things uh, for them. Wow. Um, that wasn't supposed to happen. <clears throat> so I'm going to limit my gratitude <laughs> on this occasion so that I don't ball. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for them. And I've, I've hope I've never expressed anything different. And, um, in spite of the conflict, in spite of the challenges that we have, um, there's a, there's a deep sense of appreciation for them and my children, um, as well. I can't, I can't go into that. I can't go in that without getting extremely emotional again. Okay. Um, I'll look at a children's book to distract my emotions a little bit. Um, my kiddos are, are the best kids in the world. Um, I hope you feel the same about your kids. Um, and it's impossible for me to talk about them 
in that context without having an extreme amount of emotion, partially due to um, how much I love them, partially due to my own shortcomings, um, partially due to facing the judgments of the world. Um, as a father who is often absent from their day-to-day -day lives, And they need to learn how to overcome that. Um, but it doesn't affect my ability to be grateful for them and to be grateful for all that they are. Um, which as you as you reflect on that, you also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak generally, that'll help. You also reflect on the struggles and challenges that your children face and they overcome, that they go through and, and how much you want to help and support them um, overcome those challenges. And that can be a beautiful feeling when you use it, right? When you take the time to say, okay, what can I do to make sure that when I'm with them, I bridge the gap on those challenges. I help them overcome <clears throat> one such experience with that, excuse me, <laughs> um, is, you know, I, I had this strong thought feeling. I don't remember what, what led to it, but I knew I needed to talk to my son and my daughters, uh, my, my oldest two daughters, um, about boundaries and the importance of healthy boundaries and communication. Um, so, you know, I, I, and then I don't get to see them for almost two weeks when I received this prompting. And so I was like, okay, um, I'm writing my notebook. I'm writing on a sticky note, but I also have to write somewhere. I'm going to remember to talk about this. So I've got a whiteboard sitting in our living room and I wrote it in the corner of the whiteboard as well. Right. Trying to make sure that every time I pass there, I can remember that that's what I need to talk about with my son and, and prepare my mind. Um, for having that conversation <clears throat> with either him alone or with the three of them um, that we could talk about boundaries and kind of map it out, talk about how boundaries work. Um, and uh, I, I didn't anticipate sharing that, but <clears throat> you know, that's again, one of the benefits of diving into gratitude is you, you just, you receive these thoughts that, you know, for what you're thankful for, you receive a thought on how to maximize, how to how to amplify it 100 fold, just like we were talking about earlier. Um, for those of you who, who hung in there for the long haul on this uh, on this stream or or on this recording, um, and uh, wow, um, and then it it allows you to become 100 times better at what it is that you do. Um, so one of the things that uh, I want to share about is just the feeling of brokenness of myself that I came to realize that led me to that powerful conversation with God. Um, and that is that, you know, I, I feel oftentimes incredibly broken as a human being. Um, I feel like that, like a broken windshield. Um, I feel like a shattered glass. Um, you know, it's kind of like that, that shattered glass where if you touch it or you try to pick it up, it's going to crumble. Um, sometimes that is how I feel a lot of times that is how I've felt over the last couple of years. Um, and, don't, and I'm able to compartmentalize that in a healthy fashion um, and, and handle that with God or talk to uplifting friends or family members, um, therapists, people who can help. And at the same time, there's one source that has allowed me to understand the strength that I am. And so while the glass looks shattered, you know, and I can I can see and even feel all of those shatters. Um, it's like one of those really cool glasses of stained art, ultimately, not stained art. Um, 
I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think it is stained glass, um, right? You've seen those mugs that are like all sorts of different colors and they're, they're perfectly strong. In fact, they're sometimes stronger than normal glass because of the layers of protection that have put on them. Um, and, you know, that that is what I want to become and what I need to become with what I've been given in life. And I'm sure most of you have a similar feeling. A lot of you probably understand what it's like to feel and be broken. And I don't hide from it. And I don't try to ignore it. And I don't try to to make sure that people can't see it. It's just part of who I am. Um, and I try to make sure that I have my healthy boundaries around it. But being broken um, and feeling shattered is a difficult reality. And while you know therapy can help and people can help, there's one source that has been my greatest source for overcoming the reality of how shattered my life has become. And so as I'm as I was praying with God and thinking through the reality that, wow, <clears throat> when I went through my first divorce, um, a part of my soul, you know, the person that I, I tied my life to um, was now gone. And my identity, you know, in, in a large sense was shattered. And then my, my three kiddos as well. Um, bam, shatter, shatter, shatter. Three more shatters that occurred with my identity. And, you know, I got remarried. And I got divorced again and boom, another shattered experience. And I lost my fourth child in that. And so there's there's all this shattering taking place and all this healing that was taking place too and, and layers of it. And so the other night, I, I received an even bigger version of that. And this I've known to be true since I was a young kid when I first found it. And that is that healing power of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate healer. And so it was in that moment where I was having this <clears throat> dark feeling and realization that I am so shattered and I'm admitting it openly, openly. And I feel like that shattered glass, that's going to crumble, um, you know, that, that, that at any moment. Um, and at the same, and at the same time, I realized I'm depriving God by not giving that to him. I'm depriving and, I, and I'm denying his capacity to heal that through his son and through the atonement of Jesus Christ by not allowing that to take place, by not believing that that is possible. And what went from my moment of realizing, oh my gosh, I'm shattered and I'm part of me is distributed throughout the world and I can't even, you know, uh, in relationships that I will never get back. Yet I don't give Christ the opportunity to fully heal me if I hang on to that thought. And that's what ultimately became an incredible healing power was, whoa, that atonement, that ability of Christ to heal is available to me if I just accept it. If I just allow myself to realize that all things can be made whole through Jesus. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that all external relationships will be made whole. Um, not in this lifetime. That doesn't mean that um, I get to control the circumstances of that. But I can believe that he can make it right in his own mysterious way the mysterious power of God, as it's often called. Um, and in addition to that, I could accept the companionship of the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. Um, and by doing so, I allow myself to, to go back towards the light that is available for me in this life, as well as if it's available for me in the next life as I continue to do that. So <clears throat> as I came to this realization, I'm writing these notes, you know, at two in the morning or whatever it was and, and dead tired. But now with, you know, eyes wide, wide open, um, you know, the, the notes say, and the, and the companionship of the comforter with an arrow to 
but seek God's word. What you read, you shall share. Don't bury your talents. Follow the call to be his mouthpiece in the flesh. And <clears throat> that's exactly what this is about. Um, my foundation um, is very much based in my belief in God. Um, and your foundation is yours to decide. It's not for me to decide. You got to figure out what your foundation is. But I'm very grateful that my faith and my and your, your foundation is a mystery to me. I don't get to decide it. I don't get to tell you what yours is. I can invite you to understand the power of my foundation in Christ. But you, at the end of the day, it's up to you to go and figure that out. And it's up to you to decide to ask God if that's right for you or not. Um, or it's up to you to decide to meditate on that. Um, and, and again, and to teach me as well what you believe. If you believe something different, that's okay. And that's fine. That's welcome in this, in this space. Um, I'm going to be doing more of these. Uh, these are not related to my brand or business. These are very much uh, going to be personal sessions about my relationship with God, how that's helped me. And I know that there are people who will be helped by that. I'm grateful for the two people who left their little hearts. It helps me realize like, okay, Somebody, you know, receives something of value out of this beyond, uh, beyond myself. Um, I want to acknowledge as well that we are all sinners and saints. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to do these perfectly. Um, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to, I'm going to probably misinterpret things. The scriptures that I read, just like today, if you, if you weren't here, we read Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Later, I interpreted it based on my own interpretation. And <clears throat> again, I have a very healthy dose of sinner and saint in me. Um, and at the same time, whether you feel that way about yourself or not, we are still called to do the work. We weren't called because we were perfect. We were called because that's the purpose of this life is to bring light to others. Um, it's to know who God, our heavenly father is and Jesus Christ and the Holy ghost to figure out what does that mean? Who are they? What do they want for us? Um, and if you, again, if you don't believe in that, that's okay. I'm not trying to force my beliefs upon you as much as sharing what I know to be true. And at the same time, I want to create that space for people who, who don't have that um, belief, you know, and I don't want to, it's not about being self-righteous and saying like, I have this, you don't like bring what you know to be true to the table. If you've got light to share, you know, if you've got something of, of great value, um, a belief that, that helps you and you can do so, without creating contention, right? Without condescending or making other people feel bad about their beliefs, then I am happy to, to I would be happy to do a study session with you um, or to have you on here um, where we can talk about goodness and, you know, and share our faiths openly um, with other people <clears throat> who, who might be in need, um, who might just happen to be looking towards us for truth and light. So that's it. Um, that's it for today. I'll do this again in the future. Um, if there's something that, that stuck out to you, there's something that helped your life. I hope that you, I hope that you comment, um, you know, or, or let me know in a private chat. Um, because it's, you know, this is about, this is about service. Um, that's really what I try to make everything I do about in life is, am I doing things that are helping other people move their life forward? Um, and if not, why am I, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, you know, it's, it's gotta be about that. And, uh, so if this, this was helpful to you, let me know. And uh, I guess if it's not, <clears throat> it's helping me dive deeper into my own understanding of these principles. So with that said, I hope everybody has a fantastic day. Uh, my thoughts and prayers are with those in Afghanistan.
um, with those in, in Israel and Palestine. Um, and, and of course, those who are, are suffering throughout the world and, and many for many different reasons. Um, may our mere actions, um, you know, be, be ones that <clears throat> allow us to contribute to the needs of such people. Um, and, uh, you know, or as uh, that leadership talk that we talked about said, or, or may we be working on things that drive greater capacity into others and help others um, have more confidence in their ability to serve. Because um, next thing you know, instead of having one person contribute, now you have three, now you have five, now you have 10 and beyond. Um, let's always strive to lift up those around us. Everybody take care. Bye-bye.